This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hi, it's Kate, and we're back with another one of our greatest hits. This one is from early 2019, where my former co-host Anissa and I spoke to a former lawyer turned burnout and resilience expert, Paula Davis Lack, about why our work and achievement-centric culture might be to blame for the high rates of burnout in America, along with what signs you should look out for and how we can all prevent it from taking over our lives. This is definitely an episode that keeps feeling more and more relevant as time goes by. So do yourself a favor, step away from your screens for 20 minutes and take a listen. So Anissa, have you ever been burned out? I definitely have once on an epic scale and a few other times where I've been pretty close to it. What did it look like? What was it like? Well, the epic burnout resulted in me changing careers. I was a lawyer and as you'd probably know, many lawyers burn out because of long hours and work-life balance. That wasn't necessarily the case for me. I just knew that I wasn't very good at my job and for ages I was in denial. So I spent all my energy not sucking at it. And, you know, when that happens, I literally didn't have the emotional and physical capacity to do anything else. Even if I spent only, you know, 30 hours working rather than 80 hours. And every morning I'd wake up with that sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. I remembered spending all my weekends dreading Monday. The Sunday blues definitely took on a whole new meaning. And I'd get random panic attacks when I'm supposed to be out enjoying time with my friends and family. Oh, my God. That sounds so horrible. I hope it hasn't been like that at all in your new career, right? No, no, definitely not. I mean, our career definitely has its source of stress, but I think it's a lot easier to prevent when you actually enjoy what you do. So have you ever been burnt out or pretty close to it? I mean, I've never had like the big dramatic career change sort of burnout like you've had, but I've had kind of maybe like a smaller scale parts of what you did. Like early in my career, I had some jobs that I really didn't like and I felt disengaged and I spent all my time looking for another job. And then, you know, over the years, like especially as my career and personal life have ramped up, I don't know if you've called like mini burnouts, like very busy and stressful times where there's a lot going on and I feel like I don't have any downtime and my list of obligations is is too long. And then there's been those times where it gets to be like August or October and I realize, oh, I haven't taken a vacation yet. Yeah, I know that feeling. And when you get to that point, you're definitely overdue for a vacation. It's pretty scary how prevalent it seems to be in the modern workplace. Yeah. And I wonder, like, is it more prevalent now or are people just realizing it and talking about it more? And I think there's also a lot of confusion as to what's stress and what's burnout and when does stress equal burnout, like get to that level. So I think uh, in this episode, we're going to try to break it all down and figure out what's the difference between stress and burnout and how do you recognize it and avoid it. Welcome to Secrets of the Most Productive People, a productivity podcast where we try to figure out how to work smarter instead of harder and dissect exactly how to get it all done. I'm Fast Company Assistant Editor Anissa Pubisari Horden. And I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor Kate Davis. This week, we are talking about burnout what it looks like, what causes it, how do you know when you're about to experience it. So first, let's step back and define exactly what burnout is. According to a 2016 study published in World Psychiatry, burnout is, and here's like the definition, the psychological syndrome emerging as a prolonged response to chronic interpersonal stressors on the job. So like really bad stress. Research actually shows that nine out of 10 workers report feeling stressed at work, while a third of them 
say that those stresses were unsustainably high. And those reports also call stress at an epidemic level. So obviously, it's more than just feeling stressed out sometimes. Yeah, that's an unusually high number, but I guess the reason is obvious. Like we talked in the last episode about how technology has made us anxious and we're also increasing the amount of hours that we work because we're expected to be available 24-7. And there are lots of factors that contribute to anxiety and stress at work that's not necessarily work-related. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, we've seen a lot recently. There was a viral BuzzFeed News article um, talking about millennial burnout and calling millennials the burnout generation, in part because they uh, have to work harder to achieve the same standards of living as their parents and they aren't always succeeding. They have high student loan debt. There's a kind of a lack of a safety net, like all of these things, along with stress at work are kind of leading people, I think, to feel more burned out. Yeah, there was another article that was written by a poet and an assistant professor who pointed out that Black women and other marginalized communities deal with additional burdens that makes them more susceptible to burnout. So, you know, she talks about clenching up every time a cop car drives behind her or watching her mom work two or three jobs and living paycheck to paycheck. Like all those stress adds up. Oh, it for sure does. I mean, there's there's work stress and then there's personal stress and then there's like the bigger kind of societal stress and all of those together totally can add up to burnout. But I guess we need to kind of step back and think about like how you can identify the signs of burnout and what you can do to prevent it. This is a good place for this episode's You Might Want to Write This Down segment. So press pause and get a pen ready. You might want to write this down. Here's how you can identify burnout and some tips to stop it before it's too late. So number one, you are chronically exhausted. No amount of good night's sleep stops you from being tired and you might find yourself getting sick more often. Sometimes stress will pass, but if you find that you go weeks and weeks with an intense level of anxiety, then your body might be trying to tell you something. I tend to get sick when I'm close to burnout and so... I take the time to rest my body and as a result, I end up resting my brain. The key is to recognize that you might be close to it and it's time to step back and give yourself the break you need. Number two, you have become overly cynical. You completely detached from your work. You're easily annoyed by your friends and coworkers. One way that you can manage this is doing what's called like an energy audit. So how do you feel when you undertake certain activities? How do you feel when you interact with certain people? And then you can start to cut back on the actions that drain you and leave you feeling more depleted. Number three, you feel incompetent and unable to be productive even when doing simple things. And one way you can combat this is to train your brain and reframe your thoughts. So next time you hear that little voice in your head telling you you'll never be good enough, don't even try, ask yourself, What's the factual evidence for and against this thought? Little by little, you can start to do the same with all your other unproductive thoughts. And that's probably the best place for us to introduce our guest today. Paula Davis-Lack is the founder and CEO of the Stress and Resilience Institute and a Fast Company contributor. She holds a Master's of Applied Positive Psychology from the University of Pennsylvania and, like me, was also a former burnt-out lawyer who shifted gears into helping organizations identify and address burnout and increase the well-being and stress resilience of their workplaces. And I got a chance to talk to her today. So Paula, I'm so excited you get to join us today. I have read about your story and it's very similar to mine. And I know that that was part of your motivation for becoming a burnout expert. So can you share that story with us? 
Oh, absolutely. So I, uh, I practiced law for seven years and I burned out during what became the last year of my law practice. So I did not know what burnout was. I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know there was a word for it. I, I just knew that I, for, for whatever reason, wasn't able to handle my stress in the same way that I felt like I had been at other points in my career and even at other points in my education. There were three big warning signs that I missed when I was going through my burnout process. And had I had I known kind of what they were, I think it would have turned out to be shorter and I could have gotten help sooner. But the first one was that I was feeling the sense of chronic physical and emotional exhaustion. So we all have busy days and weeks and months, and that does not mean we are burned out. But it was this, again, chronic. More often than not, I just could not get this. Like I was like dragging myself out of bed. And where I wanted to you know, where I usually had gone out with friends on the weekend, again, it was like I just didn't feel like I had the energy to do that. So that was the first big warning sign. The second one was that I was feeling overly, again, chronically cynical. And then lastly, I just started to feel really ineffective, not necessarily in my ability to be a good lawyer, but in my ability to see a, a real like path for myself continuing through the legal profession. And so um, what I ended up realizing after the fact was that those three big warning signs are, are actually the three big dimensions of burnout. It seems like it's becoming a lot more prevalent and a common thing in the workplace. And based on your work, to what extent do you think that's true? And what do you think are the factors contributing to that? So what's interesting is that from a research standpoint, we know lots about burnout in healthcare. Far less empirical research has been done in pretty much almost any other industry I see it at least anecdotally in the legal profession. And that's one of one of my goals is to start to put more empirical basis around quantifying, you know, what are the rates that we're seeing in some of these other professions? But but absolutely from an anecdotal standpoint, just having people email me and pull me aside, you know, at like networking events and things like that, and they have questions for me about kind of what they're experiencing. Absolutely, I'm seeing it impact, first of all, more people and then just, you know, pretty much wherever work exists. So, so, so I don't think that there's any sort of industry that's immune from it. It is an imbalance in your job demands, your job resources, and how you take time to recharge your batteries. Um, the motivational aspects of your work are the job resources. So those are things like having high quality relationships with your colleagues and getting feedback on a regular basis and having a leader that is supportive and has your back. Uh, and taking time to actually interact with people at work who you, who you like. So that's that's an important piece. And so when you hear that formula and you think of the different components that go into it, uh, I think that a lot of workplaces are not necessarily focused enough on that resource prong. What do you think are the common causes of burnout that you see among the people you work with? So I think it is, um, I mean, it's, it's a cluster of different things. And so first of all, it's, I think that it's that imbalance formula that I just talked about, but it's also, um, sort of, I think that, you know, we as workers have an expectation of, you know, what we're going to get from the workplace. And when that becomes kind of a big disconnect in certain specific areas, we know that that can be a driver of burnout. So some of those areas include workload and organizational fairness. Is the workplace actually focused on those things? And does your workplace have this fabulous mission statement and all of these values statements, but your, your direct line manager doesn't walk the talk? 
But it's got to be, if we're going to talk about really um, making a meaningful impact in the rates of burnout, it has to be also the organizations jumping in, being willing to take a look at, you know, how are we contributing to this problem from a culture and a process and a values um, standpoint as well. How do they differentiate that from signs of normal stress? Like what's burn? How do you know when you're approaching burnout and how do you know when you're just stressed? Sure. So there, um, there are a couple of different ways. I mean, one of one of the probably the best ways would be a formal assessment. So there's a great measurement tool called called the Maslach Burnout Inventory, because it looks at those three dimensions: the exhaustion, the cynicism, and the feeling ineffective, and kind of helps you understand where you are. Burnout isn't classified as a specific, you know, physical or mental illness in the United States. It is in other places in the world, but it's not in the United States. And so there's a lot of confusion around, you know, is is burnout the same thing as depression or is burnout the same thing as anxiety or what have you? And the way that I think about it is that burnout is a process that will continue to get worse if you don't do something about it. And so oftentimes what will happen is it's, it, it opens the door to other things. And so for me, it opened the door to a lot of anxiety issues. So I started to get panic attacks on a regular basis. That didn't happen right away when I was at sort of the initial stages of burnout. But again, as I left my burnout unchecked because I didn't know what it was and I didn't know what to do about it, um, things just started to escalate for me from a mental and physical health standpoint. And so the panic attacks happened. And then, you know, I, I got really severe stomach aches that landed me in the emergency room. Um, and so, so part of the issue in terms of diagnosing and dealing with burnout is you might show up to a mental health provider and you might show up to a physician and you might say, oh my God, I have this really awful stomach ache or I'm getting panic attacks. And so that's going to be their focus and their entry point in terms of helping you out. But I talked to a lot of people who say like, yeah, I, I, I got that treated or I got help for that and I'm still feeling burned out. And it's because probably the workplace root of it hasn't yet been addressed. And a lot of my work is on the prevention side of the house. And so so there are a lot of things that you can do on the prevention side, like on the early side to little tricks and tips and tools to, um, to help. Um, but it's, you know, make, making time and having a little bit of a dedicated practice around how you deal with stress and adversity and challenge at work. I'm sure that you probably saw the viral article about millennial burnout and all of the response to it. Um, it kind of generated a lot of conversation around, you know, certain marginalized communities have are more prone to burnout because they have other societal um, things to deal with, societal pressures and, you know, societal um, expectations that maybe people in more fortunate situations don't have. Can you talk a little bit about how people's circumstances and background might differ in terms of whether or not they're prone to burnout? Sure. Um, so, you know, I can speak from a lot of my own experience and I can speak from a lot of the, um, the millennials who I work with. So there are a lot of messages set up very early for us about what it means to be successful and what it means to be a high achiever and what it means to, you know, do well in life. But, but what I'm not hearing it are also sort of balanced messages around, you know, you need to take a break or, um, you know, perfectionism should not be your standard. And the, the act of becoming successful in a balanced way, 
I think is something that is really important and might be lost in a lot of different communities. I guess my, my initial question was, you know, in addition to this ideal that millennials are presented with, um, what advice do you have for people who, in addition to that pressure, might also be facing additional pressures that could contribute to burnout? Say, you know, maybe they're not from a well of family or they come from a marginalized community that faces a lot of discrimination at work. And how do they how do they keep their burnout in check when they have the societal pressures to to deal with as well as, you know, the millennial pressure that you say is about perfectionism and achievement oriented? I, I mean, I think essentially when it comes into the workplace, if you're talking about like you're somebody from a marginalized community who's trying to integrate themselves appropriately into a workplace setting. I mean, I think then what you're talking about that might come up, there are all of these factors around stereotyping and unconscious bias and diversity and inclusion efforts and like all of these like humongous type, you know, behemoth issues that a lot of people in the workplace face. And so, you know, to the extent that you can start to carve out space in terms of finding supportive colleagues to the extent that you can, you know, find, um, you know, a manager or have a manager or, or have some sort of like peer mentoring network or a sponsor or somebody who can kind of help guide you in, in that circumstance. I mean, I guess that's where I would start in terms of places to help. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, on the topic of practices, self-care and just, ways to combat stress and anxiety before burnout becomes prevalent. What does it look like to you? Like, how have you, what is, what is your own practice for preventing burnout now? Yeah. So, okay. So I love this question Um, because it doesn't have to be and shouldn't be anything like fancy or should take you a long time, but there are consistent little things that I do on a very regular basis that have really, really helped me. So one is I have a pretty active gratitude practice. So sort of drawing in the gratitude and the positive emotion piece is really important. Tons of research connecting positive emotion to less stress and how it undoes the the negative physiological effects of stress. So that's an important component for myself really paying attention to my own self-care. So I will tell you, I'm working crazy hours, but I'm not going until four o'clock before I eat. So it's those little momentary pauses to the extent that I can. I'm a huge advocate of regular exercise. Exercise in some instances can be as effective as medication. And so that's one thing that I always try to get people to at least start to kind of build in a little bit. One thing that I think is really helpful that I'll borrow sort of from a mindfulness playbook is just a breathing exercise because it really physiologically helps to center you and calm you. And then lastly, um, I can't underscore enough the importance of friendships and social connections. Um, oh, and I want to mention one other one too, and this is this is one of the cognitive tools that I teach Um so when you find yourself really stressed out or in a stressful situation or a challenging environment or a challenging situation, ask yourself, where do I have a measure of control, influence, or leverage here? So, and then what can I do about it? So it helps get you focused where you actually can do something about it. And then it helps you switch into the actual steps that you can do. So it's really a cluster of those little strategies that has helped me enormously. This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. 
Yeah, that makes total sense. So for those who are facing burnout because of things that they have very little control over, like, um, you know, you mentioned kind of a small thing, but there might be lots of other big things that they just have to deal with at this time of their lives. Um, And, you know, maybe they're not really in a position to change careers. If it is their jobs that's burning them out, what are some measures they can adopt to take care of themselves to at least get them to a more neutral place? Sure. I call them TNTs or tiny noticeable things. What tiny noticeable things can you start to do? So it, and it's hard because if you are, if you're, if you're with a horrible manager, or you're not in the right team or these things aren't promoted, it can be difficult, but you can't um, ask for more transparencies about the project or about the situation that you can make sure that you are, are again, forming those high quality relationships with people, both at work and outside of work make sure that you're getting regular feedback about your projects. And so if you're somebody who's listening to this and you are the leader or you do have some control over a team, think about how you can start to influence some of this. Um, And then also recognition is huge in the workplace. And so again, if you're that leader, making sure that you're recognizing people on a regular basis, but even if you're the person who isn't the leader, you know, calling out other people and saying, Hey, thank you. You know, you really helped me with this and sort of like starting that, that community of recognition, just even within your own little corner of the world can be really, really, really impactful. Um, one other trick that I teach people, and this is a little bit, you know, again, away from the workplace is to change your password. So I guess you could do this at work or you could do this outside of work. But to think of like a word or a phrase or a goal that you might have that has some sort of like positive something associated with it um, and turn that into your passwords. And then lastly, I'll say um, one really powerful strategy that's you know really tiny thing that you could do is to track small wins. Because if you're having a bad day, for me, I do this. It sort of helps me to go go back and reflect on some great things. Those are those are all little ways that you can do a little bit of something to help sort of get that motivation and that engagement kind of plugged back in. So it seems to me to summarize, um, burnout is a little bit about prevention, about figuring out the signs before it's too late. It's a little bit about changing the idea about what it means to be successful to a person. And also what an individual can do is look at signs where you know, look at aspects of their life that might be causing it and then figure out if that's something they can change. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. It's a blend. It's a blend of all of that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. We really enjoyed it. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And that's it for this week's episode of Secrets of the Most Productive People. Have you ever experienced burnout? Do you have some great tips for self-care? Let us know using the hashtag FCMostProductive. Join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing all things mind over matter. Do our thoughts really determine the kinds of actions we're willing or not willing to take? You can also find more articles about burnout in the show notes below, as well as our tips for identifying and preventing burnout from our You Might Want to Write This Down segment. And in the meantime, you can follow Fast Company on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And don't forget to listen to our other podcast, Creative Conversation. Secrets of the Most Productive People is produced by Shannon Berner. Bye, Shannon. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thanks. Bye.